You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick old trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drunk. Beat out old Welcome to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR. The world's greatest producer, Kelly Whitworth, has placed her hand in the barrel, which she's now taken out of Snowtown because of the negative publicity, and pulled out a guest, Taylor Wheeler. How are you, Taylor? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I I am brilliantly well. Uh, I'm brilliantly well. I only speak to nice people. Because I'm a nasty person. You've got to understand that, Taylor. Oh, that's not a good introduction, is it, Taylor? Hey, look, I've got to put the interview where we've got 56 minutes. We have no music, no community announcements, just me and Taylor. She's a relatively young person, I understand. And I've got to pad up 56 minutes. So, you know, what am I supposed to do? Be nice? Yes, be nice. Look, Taylor. That's okay. I can handle it. You can handle it. Look, I'm going to be very nice because I look. I know nothing about you, which is brilliant because I'm very lazy and I do no research on the guests because that gives you and me the liberty to go where we like. And obviously, you've got lots of special interests, but we normally start at the very beginning. So, what mm-hmm. year were you born? I was born in '93. You're a child. A child, you know when I was, yeah. you know when I was born. Yeah, what year was that? Fifty-one. I could be a grandfather. Most likely, I am. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> that, that that means your parents are still alive, doesn't it? Or yes, yeah. No? My dad was born in fifty-three. Oh, there you are. Excellent. He was a bit of a late yeah. starter then. He was. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, yeah. and mum. Yeah, so mum was born in 65, so she was a bit younger, yep. but um, yeah, they're both very young at heart. Right, and that, they're not part of that uh, crappy, hippie, yippie, nimbin crowd, are they? <laughs> no, they're a little bit old school, to be honest. Old school, what does that mean? <laughs> they're a little bit strict growing up, but uh, I think it was good because it kept me in line. Strict with you, keep you in line. I can't believe that. So, so, so what was the first thing you remember about being on planet Earth? Oh, the first thing I remember. Mm. Um, you know what? My memory, I don't feel like it goes 
too far back, to be honest. Um, mm. It was probably when I moved into Cape Beach, uh, which is sort of Newcastle area of New South Wales. Mm. Um, so I remember just growing up on the beach, being involved in nippers. It was a beautiful environment to grow up in. Right. And any uh, little siblings? I have an older sister. An older sister. Was she a nuisance? Uh, she was. <laughs> <laughs> to an extent, yeah. Me being the little sibling, I think, um, uh, you know, that was just the way it worked. But, right. no, she's a good sister. I like nippers. It's a great institution. Tell us about it and, and your role in it. Nippers, yeah, Nippers was really good. It was good, a community sport, I guess, which was um, really great being close to, to the locals. I also did karate, which was Oops. actually... I, I better be careful. <laughs> <laughs> How yeah. far did you get in the karate world? Yeah, karate was probably more my passion, so I remember a little bit more um, about that. But, yeah, I... Well, if you know anything about the belt, we yes. I got up to brown belt, and um, my sister was a black belt. Oh, no wonder she bossed you around. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, exactly. but didn't didn't you understand the philosophy behind karate? It's not about you know murdering your opponent, is it? No, it's very much about respect and um, just learning to protect yourself. But I think it's a great sport for confidence boosting, especially when you're young. Right. Young girls, yeah. Yeah, well, you need to deal with scum like me. I can understand that. Now, getting back to the nippers, do you remember the mm-hmm. first time you took a gulp of salty water? Mm, oh, most definitely. <laughs> Tell us about often. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm quite a, a small person. I was a small uh, child, so mm. I feel like getting dunked onto the waves was a given in that sport. So it was, um, yeah, not... Not very nice at all, but you get used to it. Yeah, so you were a, a real nipper. Yeah. You were a nipper nipper because you were a small nipper. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, exactly. You were a real... I, was a, I was a little nipper, yes. Right. <laughs> Sounds pretty idyllic. Um, so yeah. did you go to one of these preschool things? Preschool? Kindergarten, you know, before you go to... Kindergarten, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Any memories? Yeah. Any memories you want to share? Um, was there somebody who was good to you? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, yeah, probably. There was a teacher that I actually, um, when I was in kindergarten, mm-hmm. that I used to absolutely love. And I was a pretty shy kid, so I didn't really talk to too many adults. But um, she, every day when I would finish school, I would always want to tell her that I hope she has a really lovely afternoon and a really lovely uh, evening and dinner and I used to just repeat the same thing to her every single day and now growing up when she sees me in the shops she loves to come over and say hi but I'm yeah I have a little bit of embarrassment about that that she had to listen to it for so long no no no, no 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 just tell but her you just tell her you're doing some training for the retail industry <laughs> and she was just yeah. you know a sample of what it wasn't personal just I wouldn't be embarrassed I mean the great thing about being a teacher and I, I've been I've taught sometimes, is when people decades later recognise you in the street and say hello and say, oh, you had an impact on my life. So obviously she had a, an impact on your life. She definitely did, yeah. it's a Well, it's one of my you know, main memories, So, um, and I think it probably helped me come out of my shell when mm. I was younger. So the fact she actually gave me the time of day every afternoon to let me repeat myself was um, 
yeah, she was obviously a very lovely person. So you do, uh, you do owe her. You know, you, you've got to be kind <laughs> when you see these old doddering retired school teachers in the supermarket. You know, make their day. Oh. Tell them that you still remember and you, and she set you on the right path in life. Yeah. Oh no, I definitely do. I love a nice little chit chat when I see them. Well, that's good. So, did this lead to anything at primary school? Um, Were you still shy and withdrawn, or yeah. did you come out? You come out of your little. Uh, I definitely grew. Mm. Yeah, I was. I was quite shy, but I definitely grew. I was a little bit different when I was younger. Um, I was, you know, big uh, animal lover, and from the age of. I was obsessed with Elvis Presley as well, so mm, I feel like I never mm. really was in my era, but mm. <laughs> um, yeah, we, I think it was a, a great school to grow and just, you were allowed to be yourself, which I think was really nice. Elvis, have you done what yeah. I've been promising to do, but I've never done? What's up? Go to the Elvis Festival at Parks. In January, they changed it this year. I was going to go this year, but they changed it to April. Yeah, I haven't actually been to yeah. the Elvis Festival, which is really bad. I went to Graceland's a couple of years ago, which was my biggest dream, but mm-hmm. I haven't been to the festivals yet. Uh, we'll, we'll look at that later on. As I said, these are just open conversations. It's an amazing <laughs> where we go with human beings because we're not just <laughs> what we do. It's uh, yeah. we're more than that. So in primary school, did you kind of, you're a little nipper, did you kind of realise your talents in particular areas or are you just one of the pack? Um, I wouldn't say that I recognised that I was talented in any areas. I was very uh, good at what I loved. I think that's something that even as an adult I'm still the same. Mm. Um if I really liked something, I did well in it and I created a passion. Uh, but anything that I wasn't too familiar with or that I found a little bit difficult, I didn't really put too much time into learning. So I think, um, yeah, that, that's probably one of the main things I remember growing up through primary school is, uh, yeah, trying to keep up with everyone else but finding uh, it hard. You did find it hard. But did you get the yeah. basics by the time you finished, you know? Yeah, Could you read and write? Great. A lot of kids can't after primary school. It's not, it's not a reflection on them. It's the way they're taught. Mm. But did you get those basics by the end, do you think? Yeah, you know what? I did. I, I was quite good in English, but the only thing I didn't get when I was in primary school was my pen license. And that doesn't matter now, but I remember going into... You didn't get... And I'm talking to you. You failed your pen license. Kelly doesn't even know, and she's 40. I don't know what that is. Well, she never went to school. She was a hillbilly. (laughs) Not true. Not true. Explain to her. Explain to the world's second greatest producer what a pen license is. So when you're in primary school, getting your pen license is something you get in high school. uh, Sorry, in uh, year six before you go to high school. So in primary school growing up, it was a big thing to get your pen license. And I wasn't the neatest writer, and you got it from writing neat. So I was very embarrassed going to high school thinking that everyone would care that you didn't have a pen license, but it never got brought up and no one cared about it. But I remember being really anxious Mm. at 12, thinking that I was going to be the only kid without a pen license and still using pencils in Mm. high school. Mm. You've confessed now publicly that you haven't got a pen license. I think your life's <laughs> going to change. People are going to shun you in the streets. They'll point and say, that's Taylor from 
what is it, Kate, whatever, in, in Newcastle, she hasn't got a pen licence. You realise that? <laughs> Unless you've moved. No, no, I should have um, taken that with me. I shouldn't have read that. Yeah, you know, you know <laughs> there, there is a way to get round this. Yeah, yeah. You print. Oh, yeah, totally. Pr- print. I mean, I, I've got horrible writing. You can ask Kelly. And because uh, she's got to read it sometimes, she actually typed up a manuscript of about was it a few hundred thousand words, and she had a lot of trouble. But she got used to it. You print, mm. and and that was the printing. I actually wasn't that right, Kelly. It was printing. Oh, I can't remember now. Is it was that, like a dream. It was a trauma, traumatic experience. <laughs> but I think this pen license business is not something we have in Victoria. I don't recall oh. ever getting having to go through such a thing. Do you actually recall going to school? I Kelly? do, I do. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> anyway, don't worry about it, Taylor. I'm sure uh, you uh, like uh, me. Uh, uh, I would be worried about it because you never know now that you've made it a, a public confession. Oh. You've come out of the closet. You are, haven't got a pen license. Get real. Yeah. No, no, hang on, Kelly. Look, this is this is a traumatic moment. For oh, is it? When she was twelve. It was the biggest thing on her mind when she went to high yes. school. Tell us about high school. Where did you go? I went to a school called Swansea High, and yep. that was in Cape Beach, so um, right near the beach as well, which was uh, great because we went surfing after school or before school. We were able to take our boards there, our skateboards, which was um, <sighs> great I to grow up with. I can't believe this surfing, skateboarding. Did you do any <laughs> the three R's of the whatever, you know, science and all that stuff? Yeah, well, we uh, it, it was a good school. I feel like um, I I went to year ten, mm. and I finished the rest of my school um, in TAFE because I wanted to really just focus on uh, the subjects that I wanted to focus on, which was based around animals. But um, in school, I was really good at history and English. Mm. This is interesting, interesting. Now, you did mention that you had this passion for animals when you were even smaller in, I think it was preschool. So mm. what, is your family kind of inundated, inundated with animals? Did you have animals everywhere, snakes and lizards, or is it just some passion you, you developed yourself? Uh, probably from my dad. We were big animal lovers. We always had snakes come into our yard and he mm. would just catch them with his bare hands, which mum would be freaking out. And mm. so we always thought that was really that cool. That is neat. That is neat. I've never caught – I've seen a lot of snakes in my life and I've never – because I was born in Queensland and red belly snakes are everywhere. I would yeah. never, never be able to catch one from my hands. Your, your, your father must be an extraordinary quick human being to get it. Yeah. What, what type I, of snakes were they? Were they red, red belly blacks or – yeah, mainly red bellies. Yeah, we had a lot yeah. of red bellies. Yeah. Can you tell us the secret of the red belly? You should never kill a red belly or, or any snake, Mm-mm, but especially snake. especially a red belly snake. Why? Uh, because they're protected? No, stuff the law. Come on, there's a very good reason. It's called self-preservation. They eat oh. other snakes. Yeah, yeah, they do. They do. They kill and eat other snakes, and they're not mm-hmm. very poisonous. You've got to be a child to die if you get bitten by a red belly back. So if you've got them in the yard, leave them alone and they'll protect you from mm-hmm. the uh, the tiger snakes and all the other, what is it, the brown snakes, all those Baby evil brown snakes. Baby brown snakes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so they So are. what, did you and your dad kind of go wandering in the bush and as, as a little kid or? Yeah, we did a lot and we, we grew up with quite a lot of animals, um, but, but mostly like we used to have a lot of rescue rabbits 
Uh, and Rescue rabbits. Dogs. Don't they go in the pot? <laughs> Not my rabbits. No. Not your rabbits. They used to go around knocking on people's doors and taking their rabbits. Yeah, when people would surrender them. Yeah. How, how about risk? How about rescue guinea pigs? Yeah, we did actually have a few rescued guinea pigs. Yeah, yeah. Lucky, well. lucky you weren't in Argentina, isn't it? What's um, in Argentina? <laughs> <Lots> of... <laughs> guinea pigs are a delicacy. Oh, okay. They farm them. I know oh. it's hard to believe, but then when you think that Australians eat lamb, you kind of, kind of, you know, you forgive the Argentinians, don't you? No, she says. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. so so this this great love of animals, right? That your dad and and your family kind of um, helped you with. Did that mm-hmm. translate into what you ate as a child? Uh, well, yeah, I went vegetarian. Went or I went pescatarian. Where right. I didn't eat any land animals, but I still ate seafood. Um, when I was um, about eight. Yep. Eight so you animals, went pescatarian so. at eight. Yeah, at eight. And so that was yeah. basically a moral decision, an ethical decision, isn't it? Yeah. Well, back then it wasn't common at all, so I wasn't actually allowed. I would have liked to go from a very young age, but um, right. it was frowned upon. So my parents used to cop a lot from other parents when they would find out that I would go to there house and I wasn't able to eat much, uh, where it's very common now. So if we grew up like today, it would be no problem at all. But back then it was probably, yeah, unheard of for uh, a lot of young kids at that age. So so what marine creatures did you like to gobble down? Oh, well, I don't eat them anymore. Though. No, but then, but then, then, you know, you can, you, you've confessed <laughs> um, you haven't got a pen license. You can confess that you ate fish and uh, prawns and things when you were younger. Come on, we don't yeah. care. We're not going to judge you, and nobody listens to this show, so you're, you're fine. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, probably. Um, look, my granddad and I used to have a really strong relationship when he was here, and we used to love mussels and oysters. So that mm. was probably the main seafood that I would eat. Well, you are in Newcastle, so what, you go down and, and, and pick them yourself, would you? No, but we've got lots of seafood, little seafood shops on the water right. um, around here, but we'd also go to the Sydney markets as well. Right. So so your grandparents, did you know from both sides? Not so much my dad's, but right. my mum's we were very close with, yeah. Mm. And were they born, do you know what their background was, was in terms of where they were born? And Yeah, from my dad's side, it's uh, Irish and English, and my mum's side is just English. English. So what? Was there some type of family dispute here that you didn't? You knew one crew and not the other. Uh, to an extent, yeah. Mm. I think my dad was a bit of a naughty kid growing up, so he distanced himself a little bit from the family. But right. um, uh. yeah, so, so what? what did he come here to reinvent himself or something? <laughs> I, Remember, he could be listening, so be careful what you tell me. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. No, I, I don't really. No, the story mm. he's not much of a talker so mm. about things like that. So I can um, understand, yeah. yeah. Oh, look, it happens in all families. I could tell you stories that make you cry, but that's not my job today. So yeah. you left at grade 10. That's very unusual. What was that? That was unusual, sorry? But you left at grade 10. You left school at grade 10. You went into TAFE. Oh, Why did yeah, you do that so- for? Back then, you were allowed to leave. You could stay for year 12 or you could leave to go study in year mm. 10. Mm. 
mm -hmm. selected subjects. So uh, that was just a choice of mine because I, I wasn't really that interested in too many subjects other than English and history. And I felt like that wasn't really going to take me anywhere in my career. So I had the opportunity to go study uh, animal studies full time. And that's what I decided to do. Well, you're quite right not pursuing history and English. I mean, you'd get, a, you'd, get, you'd get an arts degree and if you're really lucky, you could become a tutor on a part-time insecure salary for the rest of your life. So, or, or, or you could do what a lot of professional politicians do. You could actually go and work for uh, a minister or something and then you could be pre-selected for a safe Liberal or Labor seat, you know, you could have done that, you know, you could have been a politician. Yeah, yeah not really my thing. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the um, uh, TAFE, Taylor. I think it gives you really good um, workplace practical skills. Yeah, yeah, I felt the same and it led me to the career that I'm still in today. So I think I would have wasted a lot of time hanging around for the other two years. And I wanted to stay for marine biology, but when I found out that they um, had cancelled that, I just thought... It was better off trying to go into something that I was passionate about. Mm. Good on you. Yeah, well, the thing is about the producer, she was an intellectual and then she discovered <laughs> TAFE. So she wasted I years. Went the other way around. She wasted years doing, what was it, philosophy at <laughs> Melbourne University and now oh. is doing a TAFE course in radio. So oh, I can't believe it. At least it just shows her up. I'm really pleased to talk to you to Taylor, show her up. Well, this, the whole, this whole program's about life's meandering journeys this way and this way. Well, yours is still meandering. <laughs> well, and so is yours. <laughs> no, mine's so is ending. Taylor's. No, no, mine's Taylor's. Taylor's, no, Taylor's Taylor's focus. is beginning. You're looking for a new direction. Am I? And I'm looking for an exit door, okay? okay? That's the way it is okay. with the age. Now, getting back to your life. Taylor. So what subjects did you, you said animal studies? What did that entail? So animal studies, that entailed studying all animals from domestic pets to wildlife. Mm -hmm. And that was a two years that I did that for. So you learn from, you know, health to behaviour, uh, rescue for wildlife. And then I guess it just gave you that opportunity to, to figure out what you wanted to do if you wanted to go more into the medical side or if you wanted to go more into a behavioural side or wildlife. And what did you decide? Uh, behavioural. Oh, it's obvious, yeah. isn't it? It's obvious. Behavioural. <laughs> yeah. And during this period, did you um, become a, a vegetarian and vegan or, and then a vegan or did you still keep um, molesting <laughs> marine species oh god so when i was a, a teenager i stopped eating seafood and then became full vegetarian mm, mm. yeah and did you have any issues with being because there's this thing around you know if you're a vegetarian you, you can't you know you're weak and you're sickly and all that could you tell people what's it like being a young woman uh who's a vegetarian well i think yeah it's you know, I've never had any issues. Like, I get my uh, levels tested quite frequently, and I never have any issues with them. I always have really good iron, B12, mm -hmm. and I have a lot of friends who are big meat eaters, including my partner, and they are always having issues with low iron, low B12. So it, it, you just have to be smart about it. It is fairly close-minded to think that, um, you know, not eating meat 
is unhealthy because there's lots of even religions out there who don't eat meat and they've always been extremely healthy people. So it's just making sure that you have a good balance and you take care of yourself. That's right. About 70 to 80% of the world's population doesn't eat meat, not because they don't want to eat it, but because it's just too expensive. Must be a campaign by the um, dairy and meat industry then. Well... Some you know, people, to, scare, to scare people. Well, some people do have issues, yeah. but people who eat meat, well, you know, we get obese and all that. Now, this is very interesting. You told us you've got a partner who's a meat eater. Could I... What's it like in the kitchen? Do you both cook? Um, well, you know what? Actually, he pretty much eats vegetarian now, like, and we don't eat dairy either, so... Uh, how how no come you just, you just, you know, you called him a carnivore before and now you've changed your mind? What's going on here? Well, we've been together for about 10 years, so he used to eat meat and he was very big on eating meat. He thought that my lifestyle was uh, not a healthy choice, but Mm -hmm. since, I don't know if you have heard, but a lot of famous people, a lot of people in America, MMA fighters, a lot of them have turned vegan or vegetarian and it's really just a, a good light on how healthy yeah, well, I, I, I don't give a stuff about famous people but I am interested <laughs> in the census and do you know yeah. what percentage of Australians put down they were vegetarians no I don't know I was shocked I was shocked 15 percent mm, and you right. can tell that because the corporate world's caught on and you can go to the supermarket and get your vegan vegetarian stuff at a inflated price. So, mm. so what do you do? Do you do you buy that type of crap, or sorry, or do you uh, <laughs> or do you buy fresh and then cook it? Oh, look, depends if I'm on the run or not. But I do try to eat and cook as much fresh food as we can. Um, right. My my partner's right into that, but um, he definitely has just he didn't listen to me, which is why I was saying I don't care about the famous people either. But it's nice that other people are raising awareness and now. It's not frowned upon as much no, because he's no. listening to these other people who are um, spreading awareness about it, so that we don't have to. And now it's very, in, uh, it's now a very, it, it's very vogue to be um, vegan. Vegan, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And oh. some people are thinking you're not doing it for the animals, so why would you do it? But I don't really care what they're doing it for. At least you know it's still making a change, whether it's for your health reasons or for the animals. It's, Still great. Yeah, it is. But what's going to happen to all those poor unborn animals that are not going to be slaughtered so we can eat them? Yeah, look, I think for (laughs) them, the best thing would really, for most animals, the kindest thing would be extinction, really, for a lot of these animals that are slaughtered Mm. for meat. Does that include dogs? (laughs) No, I absolutely love dogs. They're my favourite animals, but, you know, the minority are looked after and the majority are treated very unfairly and eaten as well. So oh, I don't know. I feel like that's a... It's that interesting. A, you said dogs yeah. are your favourite animals. When did all this happen? One of my favourites, yeah. Uh, I've always been really passionate about dogs, uh, growing right. up with them, and I think that they're you know misunderstood. They're the one animal that lives the closest to us than any of the others, and I think they're extremely misunderstood. So... Um, I think raising awareness for how to live with them properly is important. All right, we'll go back and then we'll come back to the dogs because obviously it's a, it's a passion of yours. You're listening to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR 855 on your AM dial. 
This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. So when you graduated and you met your partner, you were only 19 when you got together, if I've done my maths right. Yeah, uh, you did. Yeah. <laughs> It's unusual that I get my maths right. He can't get pronunciation of names right, but he can yeah, do his maths. That's right. No, We've all got our skills. What's your name again? Tiller, Tiller, <laughs> Walla or something? Kerry. <laughs> no, Taylor no, Wheeler. no, no, the guest. Oh, Taylor. Taylor Wheeler, Taylor. yeah. Yes. You're not related to the uh, Wheeler family, are you? <laughs> I do have a Wheeler family, yes. <laughs> no, but I mean the Wheeler family in Melbourne. No. That were, you know, the foundation members of uh, Lonely Planet and now have actually uh, become uh, philanthropists. Okay. No? Yeah, no. I, no. I, well, it's a pity because they could really help you with that name with your projects. We'll talk about that later on, I think, because I'm being very serious. Oh. Yeah. All right. So you leave college. What do you do? When I leave TAFE. TAFE, yeah. what did I do? So I worked in I worked in a veterinary clinic for a little while, and mm. that's when I decided that that wasn't my passion as much as behaviour was. Uh, and then I also from I got my first job at fourteen in the pet industry, uh, in products and services. And then when I had left TAFE, I went and studied full time in dog behaviour, mm-hmm. and became a dog trainer by certification, and I started my career from there, started up a business. So tell us about dog training, the actual course. How difficult is it, and is it for everyone? Dog training, is it for everyone? No, I I don't believe it is. I think there are a lot of trainers who don't make the time to actually learn deep on a deep level about the animals and they maybe just watch some videos or read some textbooks and implement the same commands that don't always work for every dog that you come across. So um, mm. I think that's one thing is people don't understand how difficult it actually is and how much deeper you need to go because we are dealing with an animal psychology. And I also, it's a very sad industry as well to be in. Sad. So you have to have a... It is. It is a hard industry to be in as a trainer, and right. I think that you need to have thick skin to be able to handle it as well. Why, why thick skin? So with majority of the dogs that... So, so I specialise in large breeds in particular, and we uh, work full-time in rescues. So for, for me... Hang on, hang on, hang on. You yep. work full-time in rescue. How long have you been doing that for? Uh, so I have been working with rescue dogs uh, for training purposes for about 10 years. 10 years, so since you were 19. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a very very difficult area to work in. I don't think people realise how damaged a lot of these animals are. Definitely. So that makes it quite hard. Uh, And before even working with the rescues, my passion from dog training took me to that area. Mm. But just dealing even with the general public, you... Sometimes you'll book in three sessions and someone does their first session and then you find out that they have made a choice to euthanise or uh, surrender their dog. Mm. And uh, that can be, when I was younger, that used to be really hard to deal with. Um, And just knowing when people come to you, a lot of the time you're their last resort. They've already put up with six months or a year of behaviour before they've outsourced 
a professional and then really it's kind of too late. Most people have checked out. Right. Let's, let's start at the very beginning. Let's say you want a dog, maybe mm-hmm. for yourself or for the kids or who knows, for the family or, or you're lonely and you want a dog. How yeah. old do you think – we're not talking about rescue dogs, but I'm just saying generally. General, what, yep. What's, what's a good age to get a dog? So I think if you if you want a puppy, mm. if that's where you're starting. Yep. They're usually released around eight weeks from their carer uh, and their litter. But I, I do think 10 weeks is a good age right. just so that they can learn as much as as much as possible from their mum and their litter mates. But, yeah, usually that age group is that eight to ten weeks. Anything before that, even if they offer it to you, I wouldn't take the dog, allow them to stay there for that eight to ten weeks. Right. Now, when you make a choice, mm-hmm. you know, as, as a dog owner or carer or whatever you want to, term you want to use, what should you think about regarding the type of dog and the breed or, or sex of the dog? What, do you, mm-hmm. what should you think about? Yeah, so that is the most important thing to really look at the breeds, learn about them and find what is going to suit your family best. And mm. there's lots of things to think about, how active you are, so how much exercise that dog needs, uh, what they're like with kids what they're like with other dogs. If you're a very social person and you don't want any risk that that dog isn't always going to be as social, you know, there's certain breeds that you can choose or perhaps avoid just in case, um, you know, they do change personalities and the traits do come out when they're a bit older. There's lots of things that you need to learn about the dog, but also making sure that you can afford a dog as well, like, um, for example, a, a pug. They are known for having, you know, issues with their breathing and you are probably going to find that your vet bills are going to get quite pricey, so you need to be prepared for that. So don't choose a breed where you know you may run into having an operation at a young age mm-hmm. uh, or you may need a certain food that's required that is expensive as well. What do you, how do you feel about these dogs being bred with these, well, not defects, but these issues as a breed? Yeah. Yeah, so I guess the the part of the industry that I'm in, it has uh, made me quite upset with the way that the industry is. I'm not a fan of dogs being bred for their looks when it requires them to have a default. I think that that is quite barbaric um there are a lot of great breeders out there who do a good job but there's also a lot of breeders who have made the industry incredibly hard and um don't do the right thing and they're all in it for money so you know i I, i'm not a fan i I think that if it is for looks and money purposes then it's it's not right in my eyes right so would you look if you had the disposable income to uh pay for your services would a chat with somebody like you before you purchase a dog or, or, or get a rescue dog be useful? Did you do any yeah, of that type of work, you know, sure. preemptive work? Definitely, definitely. We get questions, uh, and we're, we're usually always 
pretty available to answer questions like that as well. We would rather see a dog be adopted or um, brought into a family that's going to be, you know, the suitable family. And I think it's really important to seek that advice first from a vet or a trainer mm-hmm. or just someone in the industry. So what are the common mistakes mere mortals make that lead to rescue dogs? So the common reasons that dogs are surrendered are due to their people not being able to handle their energy. The dogs are hyperactive and they can't train them as such because their energy is so high uh, and people don't have time to walk their dogs or to drain that energy. That's one big reason that a lot of dogs do come through into the industry. We hear it a lot that, you know, they're jumping, they're barking, uh, and all, all of these issues that we are told about, it usually comes back to their energy levels not being drained, their you know, mental stimulation hasn't been met. Mm-hmm. So I, I think people don't realise how big of a job it actually is to have a dog and to take the responsibility on for, you know, not short-term, it is long-term. It's a 10 to 15-year commitment. Right. So yeah, with apartment living, how mm-hmm. do you feel about dogs being cooped up in apartments do you think it can work if they're if they're exercised you do i do because i'm currently in a a situation where there are dogs in in an apartment building and i I look and look at them and i think "Mm, are you getting much of a life little doggy what do you reckon Mm. can you can you make a life for somebody a dog in an apartment yeah of course you can i do think you need to uh, make sure that you can give the time and the right training to a dog if they're going to be in an apartment, but you definitely can make it happen. Just lots of exercise, making sure that you understand the breed and uh, sometimes obviously a breed that is known to be overly active may not be the best suited dog for an apartment, but I know some people who make that work as well, so it really just depends on you. What, a Jack Russell in an apartment? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. A Jack Russell. Yeah, look, I I think, you know, anyone can make it work if they have the right strategy and program in place. But a Jack Russells, uh, they're such a hilarious little dog. They but they're very active. So very it active. may not always work for everyone. Uh, how about if, you're, if you've got full-time work and you're kind of single and you leave your dog at home all day? What do you reckon? What, what, and you haven't got a backyard. A lot of people do. It's not easy. I think, you know, all of these scenarios, it's all based on your situation um, and your style of living, how often you can take them for a toilet break. I think if you haven't got a dog yet and you were going to be gone for 12 hours of the day, then probably apartment style living and 12-hour long days may not be the best option. But it's also hard because a lot of, uh, houses now are not allowing a lot of rentals are not allowing dogs to come in so people are accepting apartments with their dogs so I don't want to say no it's not appropriate because uh, we're look, trying I'm sorry you live in New South Wales we've changed the legislation recently in Victoria regarding uh, okay. although you can still refuse but it's much much easier to have animals now as a renter obviously in New South Wales you just can't keep up can you I did hear about the um, <laughs> regulations coming out, but yeah, so 
that's fantastic because that is one thing that we really want to see mm. making a movement is, you know, people not being denied because we went through a period where it was hard. We had a lot of people struggling to find a home that will accept their dogs and then they are surrendered, unfortunately. So. Yeah. Mm. I've got a it's question. Um, Taylor, yeah. you mentioned earlier, I don't know if I heard correctly, you said something about um, dogs being bred with defects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's what's that about? So, and again, these breeds are, are beautiful dogs. Like I've got lots of friends who have these breeds, but, you know, you've got your, your pugs, your French bulldogs, um, any style of dog that has a very flat face that they struggle to breathe that's a major defect uh that we see across a lot of breeds and the unfortunate thing is is they can't really be overly exercised so it's just not always fair on a dog to not be able to run properly or um Mm. you know they are going to pass out from lack of oxygen yeah and people are paying what three four five thousand dollars for these little pups Oh, some of them are going for 8000 8000 yeah, it's just extraordinary. Why do they want them? Because uh, they look nice. Because of that look. Yeah. Because of the look, yeah. Some breeders now are a lot more considerate and they are trying to cross them with dogs that do have an extended uh, snout so that they can bring that, that mm. defect out and allow them to breathe better. So there's a lot of good breeders out there that, are, you know, are, are trying to prevent things like that from yeah. happening but you know, you have some breeds that are, are bred even for their back to mm. have a, a slanty back, which also creates hip dysplasia um, when mm. they're older. So it, it is about look, and that's fairly unfortunate. Yeah, well, we, do, we do it with human beings, you know, putting rings on women's necks to elongate their necks to such well, a yeah. degree. I mean, that's cultural. Uh, cultural some of the Chinese yeah. emperors yeah. used to uh, have... Um, uh, adopted, not adopted, uh, children who uh, whose parents had died, and they and they would rear them in specifically glass porcelain type of jars, so that they would uh, be a particular shape when they got. So uh, it's not just dogs; it's been no, done with human beings. We're always modifying yeah. the world around us, just so it looks yeah. nice. It looks yeah. nice. Yeah. Let's get back to something real: rescue dogs, right? Tell us the main reasons why dogs are given up. Oh, no, so, no, again, again, because I want to, yeah. Yeah. So the, the main reasons, some of the top reasons are right. aggression right. towards other dogs or people, mm-hmm. uh, energy levels, housing, not having the right housing or having to move, and we have mainly just your behavioural issues. So behaviour is one of the biggest reasons that our dogs are surrendered. Right. So if any listener's got a dog that's got issues, Mm -hmm. when should they seek help from somebody with your experience? Yeah, so that is a great question because it's really important to make sure that you do seek help, especially through a dog, we call it their teenage stage, so sort of when they're going between that, you know, eight to 12 months is when you really may start seeing some behavioural changes and it's important to seek some professional help then. We get a lot of dogs who are, you know, 18 months and people will say, oh, well, I took them to puppy preschool so I didn't think that I would need training again. Puppy preschool is great but it's more of a social experience. Uh, It's good because you will learn some tips and you'll know when your next vaccinations are due but it's important to understand how to actually train an adult dog. Right. 
Okay, I'm going to get some free advice for our listeners. Sure. Let's say I've got two or three young kids and it's mm-hmm. a nuclear family and we've got a bit of a backyard. What type of dog would you recommend? So if they're young kids? Yeah, un- under um, five, under five. Would you recommend a dog five? if they're under five? I would recommend a dog. I think a dog is great for young kids to grow up with. I think that you should look for a breed. It just depends if you would like a big dog in your household or if you would prefer a little dog in your household. I think that's the two main things that you need to look for first because these puppies are always going to get big and they're very cute. You're kidding. Puppies grow up, do they? they You're kidding. Really? I thought they just stayed nice little puppies. They grow up. It's interesting. A lot of people do think that. <laughs> and um, we get, yeah, we get a lot of people say, I didn't realise that my dog was going to get this big. And it's like, well, it's naturally a 30 to 40 kilo dog. So <laughs> I don't know why you thought that. But, uh, <laughs> so definitely have a look at what size you're going to be happy with long term, not short term, long term for the next 10, 15 years. Are you going to be happy with a big Labrador running through your house? And if not, perhaps looking for a Cavoodle or a, you know, smaller dog, uh, like little Cavaliers. They're great family pets. Mm -hmm. And we get a lot that are up for adoption as well. So if you are looking for either rescuing or there are some good breeders around as well, but um, we obviously always do recommend going and having a look in the rescue groups first and the pet local pounds. But I think that that would be a good choice, having a smaller dog who you know is quite family friendly. Right. Now, if I'm an... If we're empty nesters and we're looking at each other and we don't know what to do, what, because we've forgotten, what type of dog would you recommend? Again, let's say we've moved to an apartment in the city. You know, 50, 60 empty nesters. You know, the kids have gone off and, you know, we want to mother something or father something. Yeah, look, I think if you are going, if you are in an apartment, really based it around a dog's personality. A dog being a little bit older is a good idea because then you know what their personality is going to be. But uh, I would also, you know, look at perhaps like a Cocker Spaniel or there are lots of dogs who are known to be quite naturally calm, which would be a good indoor dog. But don't look past your big dogs because there's a lot of big, beautiful dogs out there that are very naturally calm. And some of them are quite lazy as well, so they don't need as much exercise as what you expect. I like that lazy dog. That's my type of dog. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, base it definitely around that dog's personality too, which when you adopt a dog that is over 12 months old, you'll start to see a little bit more what they're going to be like. Mm. And the last one, say if you're like me, an arthritic, overweight, septuagenarian, what would you recommend? And let's say we're kind of living in a big empty house with a bit of a garden at the back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and are we talking like a young puppy or are we talking... I'm asking you. You're the expert. Dirty. What do I know? I know nothing about dogs. <laughs> I'm a cat person. Yeah, well, I... <laughs> let's just say, let's say, let's say, you know, 100 kilo. Not that I'm that much, but uh, arthritic, full of arthritis, elderly, lives alone, wants a bit of company, hates human beings. You're talking about yourself. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. What what, what type of dog would you recommend? So I would definitely look for, if, if you're not particularly looking for a young dog, I would look for a senior dog. If you're not wanting to... A senior dog? 
Yeah, so over seven, a dog that doesn't require as much exercise as a young pup. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot out there that are looking for home. So I think that is a really good place to start. And your, you know, lap dogs are, are great, but your bigger dogs are also um, extremely good companions and they don't always require much exercise, especially when they're in that senior year. So maybe a nice uh, Labrador or a Golden Retriever make really great pets. But also you need to think of the stairs in houses as well. If you've got a lot of stairs and that dog is a large dog who is prone to having hip dysplasia and may need to be eventually carried or helped upstairs, then if you are... I don't want um, that. If you have any injuries like shoulder injuries or you Mm. are a bit older, then I would recommend not going for a dog that, you know, is over that 10 Mm. kilograms. Right, let's get back to the work you're doing with rescue dogs. Uh, are you part of a, a network or a specific organisation? Um, so our organisation is called the Pink Paw Program. Hang on, the Pink Paw Program. It sounds Pink like you've got program. a website, Pink Paw. I like that. Why Pink Paws? We do. Why, why Pink? <laughs> well, is that the so, blood? Is that the blood in the fur or something? No. <laughs> it's more just a colour that's around, based around <laughs> love. A lovely colour. All right, Pink I Paw. Love so was yeah. it Pink Paw Program? Program. So if somebody puts that up on a website, something will flash up before their eyes, will it? Yeah, yeah. So pinkpawprogram.org, that is our website. So that is our charity. and we Charity? Are, you're, a registered, yeah, you're a registered charity? We are. How did you do that? You must have a good accountant and lawyer. <laughs> yeah, well, it was... Quite a bit of work. It wasn't easy to set up with the well, lawyers. There is a lot of paperwork involved. Huge amount. Mm. Uh, was is it worth? Definitely worth it. Yeah, most definitely. It's it's been extremely worth it and rewarding. Uh, we were a not for profit to begin with, and we turned into a charity in the last few years. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's been great. So we are a rescue support line for Australia wide and globally as well. What do you mean? Australia-wide and globally, a rescue support. Like, if my dog's biting my foot, I can ring you? <laughs> yeah, so we, we actually deal with referrals from... Ah, that's rescue. referral from, what, from uh, uh, refugees, do you? Rescue organisations. Rescue organisations, so you're yeah. a, a referral system. Otherwise, you'd be inundated. You'd have millions of calls every day. <laughs> yeah, and we get questions, you know, uh, through email and... You know, we're always happy to answer something to help, but we do mainly work with rescues. And um, once we receive a referral, we take them on board through our correspondence training and we offer them ongoing help. So basically, you're a, a rescuer's rescue. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> a rescuer's rescue is hard to pronounce. <laughs> so you rescue the rescuer, basically. Yeah, so we, we help the foster carers and the people who have adopted. Mm. so that the dog can hopefully stay or find their forever home. Forever home. I like that. Forever mm. home. It's like have a nice day. Same thing, forever home. Is there such a thing as a forever <laughs> home? Don't people get old yeah. and they, they kind of can't look after their dogs and they give them up? If they outlive their dog, uh, mm. yeah, we, mm. we do. That's where we have a lot of senior dogs that enter into the rescue group who uh, may not have had family that could take them on. But, yeah, it's it's a great organisation. We would deal with 
some beautiful people and it's a very stressful time for people who have just adopted a dog who may have had a traumatic past. So mm. we're there to help guide them through it just so that they don't feel alone in the process. Mm. Uh, are you in any way aligned or associated with the Animal Justice Party? Uh, no, we right. aren't, but mm-hmm. we love those guys. They do a great job. Right. Uh, can I tell you a funny story in the last few minutes? There was a, a yeah. gentleman, for want of a better word, in Melbourne who loved his dog so much that when he wrote his will and he had about $10 million, the only beneficiary was the dog, and it was a watertight will. And he actually was paid for the dog to stay in the family home and to have a full-time carer till the day the dog died. So you can imagine the carer would do everything in its power to ensure the dog lived a long, happy life. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's a true story about 20 years ago. Do, do you take bequests? Do we... Take bequests. Take... People put you, you know, like people put the RSPCA in their wills. Can people put, do people put you in their wills? Well, we've never, uh, we've never had that arise, that opportunity to go... Well, I'm telling you, look, my my specialty is giving unsolicited advice and if you really want to have a good financial background or backing, Mm -hmm. you really need to look at bequests. Here at the community radio station we're broadcasting from, we have a bequest system where people who go to the... who die, forget about the next will, who die, leave a little bit of their estate to the community radio station. And I'm being serious here. I think it's something that an organisation which yours, like yours, which does so much good work and most of it, a lot of it voluntary, should actually be looking at, now that you're a registered charity, as bequest to get, you know, have a look at that area. It's quite simple to set up. It's not hard. Okay. Yeah. No, I've never really gone far into that. Because um, there's, a, there's a lot of old... Uh, There'll be of, a lot of people that be be wanting to yeah, there's a lot give. of people who hate their kids but love their dogs. <laughs> and that's the market you'll be looking at. Mm, I think it's a goer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, we um, we only we mainly self-fund, and um, so I haven't really looked at anything else. But Look at bequests. Yeah, interesting. Look at it. There's an ageing population. Mm-hmm. They love their animals. The kids have flown away. They can't see the grandkids. There's all these disputes in families, as your father will tell you, and they'll leave you money in heaps, especially to dogs. Now, if people want to get in, learn more about Pink mm-hmm. was it Pink Paw Program dot org. Yep. Apart from looking at the website, is there any other way they can contact you? Through our social media channels, they can contact us as well. We've got Facebook and Instagram, uh, or they can find me on LinkedIn as well. What? We mean LinkedIn. If we put Taylor Wheeler, dog trainer extraordinaire, you come up. <laughs> yes. Taylor Wheeler, Pink Paw Program, I'll be in there somewhere, yeah. You'll be in there somewhere. <laughs> Look, it's really been a pleasure talking to you. I think a young person of 29 who's taken on all this responsibility at the age, and it's a huge responsibility because it's, it's all about education and uh, assisting um, animals who are pets, which we've made into pets. We've created this, you know, this this thing, you know, of all these different breeds we've created as human beings. And to have you there as a backup, especially for the rescuers, I think I think it's an extraordinary thing you've done. Is your partner involved, you. or they just roll their eyes and say, "Oh no, not again!" When you come home. <laughs> oh no, he tags along. He tags along. He carries the handbag, does he? 
yeah, pretty much. He um, he enjoys what we do, but he's happy just to watch and support from a distance. And the last question, do you have a dog? I do. I have a beautiful cuddle dog. Oh. Bluey? A red Oh, oh lovely. Lovely, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. As far yeah, as I'm concerned, fun. you should get an Order of Australia. And uh, for what you're doing, stuff John oh, Howard, Paul Keating, all those people. You're the one. You're doing practical, real work, and you're doing it uh, in your own time in a volunteer charity organisation. So congratulations and all the Thank very you. best for the future. Thank you so much. And remember, the program is podcast, so you can get your friends to log on and learn all about your dark secrets, the fact that you didn't have a pen licence. Oh, I know. Yes, my darkest secret is out. (laughs) Thanks so much, Taylor. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. No worries. See you later. Okay, see you. Born in Mara. Born in Mara. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.